0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Making the most of now. Young women in Otatahi, Christchurch, New Zealand, talk about living through the earthquakes, the mosque shootings, and the COVID-19 pandemic. These oral histories were recorded by Louise Tapper and Rosemary DePleese. Thanks to the Christchurch branch of the National Council of Women, the Collaborative Trust, and UC Quake Studies. This is the final episode of Making the Most of Now. We will be hearing from Rosemary and Louise, the researchers behind the project, and Marianne, one of the young women who was interviewed. But first, we hear Claire's story. Claire is 32 years old and has physical disabilities. Claire works full time supporting people with disabilities in the community. Her story is voiced by a student at the
1: New Zealand Broadcasting School at ARA. So, just to start with, can you tell me a bit about your life at the moment?
2: Okay, yeah. Well, I live in a flat by myself. I work full time at Araha Action as a service coordinator. I have a caseload of people that I support with everyday life, so housing, education, and employment. I also organise support workers to support people in their community. I'm quite active. I go to the gym and I swim, my family are all in Christchurch and I connect with them weekly and I have a good network of friends in Christchurch. Thank
1: you, Claire. Can we just go over a bit of Christchurch related history, which has you know, been quite a bit lately?
2: What do you remember about the time of the Canterbury earthquakes? The September quake, I was still living at home, and I can remember obviously it was a huge event, but it didn't really impact me as much as the February quake. I think because I was at home, my house was fine, my family were around. Yes, it was a shock, but it wasn't as significant for me as the February one. When February struck, I was in my first stats lecture at university, and I was upstairs in an old building. Of course, being a wheelchair user, I was reliant on people to get down. I found that really traumatic. In the weeks following, I was in a daze. You saw all these people getting stuck in to help people, and I was in a fog. That really impacted me. Then the bigger ones following that, we had the June one, where I was again at university. I was outside, but I can remember that had quite an impact. Looking back, I think because I was out and didn't really have close people by me, so particularly that February one, I was reliant on strangers to get me downstairs. I think if I had had people I knew with me, it might have not been so bad. That June one had quite an impact on me as well but then as time goes by it gets less and you can look back and say that was shit and move on. Then the mosque shooting last year, that was really bizarre because it felt like it did after the earthquakes, like something's bad's just happened and that's out of control. Again living on my own, I think so, all these kinds of things. Now with COVID-19 that's another big cloud of uncertainty, like our worlds are constantly changing. You make plans and things have to change. With the mosque shootings at that stage, you weren't at home, you were in your own place, is that right? The mosque shooting, I was in my own place. I was actually at work at the time, and of course we were locked down for a few hours. So because you were at work,
1: um, you you had colleagues around and and people you knew, Did, did that feel a bit better for you? Yeah, it did, a lot better. So that earthquake experience, it
2: sounded pretty traumatically. Did it go on for quite a while, that feeling of sort of daze? Yeah, it did actually. I was just lying on the couch and in a fog. I guess it was the shock of the whole experience. You started talking
1: to me about COVID, which is what we want to hear about today and focus on. Can we focus on, you know, that lockdown period between March and April, that level four lockdown and perhaps its impact on your life?
2: I employ support workers to come and assist me in my home and my family were really concerned about bubbles because obviously I've got four staff and they all had their flatmates. So my mum actually moved in with me for that time. That worked well for both of us because she needed to close her business, so she moved in. I worked from home and she supported me and got to do her own thing during the day. It actually worked really well. I think it's not easy going back to living with a parent after being apart. But we made it work. That was okay. I was really pleased to have her there because I think the isolation would have really got to me. Even if I did obviously have support workers coming in, it would have still been very isolating.
1: What was especially difficult for you, do you think, in that lockdown period?
2: I think that the world had just completely changed. In 48 hours, our world had become confined to being at home and our outings were a weekly trip to the supermarket. I've got quite a number of connections in Christchurch and I think not being able to see people, you connect online and turn on the phone and it's great, but it doesn't replace that in-person connection stuff.
1: And what about for work, Claire?
2: How difficult was it for you for work or wasn't it difficult? I did find work a bit of a challenge. I have someone to assist me with my paperwork and that kind of thing here. We made that work. I shared my screen and she could do things from her house. It just took a lot more effort. In some ways it was harder and in other ways things got more efficient. I wanted to keep some of how we worked over that time but it's scary how quickly we've gone back to I can't meet you this week because I don't have a driver In actual fact, we could meet on Zoom like we did a few months ago. It's just keeping some of the positive things that came out of lockdown. So perhaps that's something you liked about being in lockdown,
1: that that you could be um, more efficient in your work. Was there anything else you liked about being in lockdown?
2: Yeah, I think life was a lot more simple, and I did quite like that. I was talking to a friend about it recently. I think anxiety levels went down. We were talking about, because the whole access thing, I didn't have to think, would this place be accessible? Would I be able to get on that bus? Or will I make it to work on time? All of that was eliminated. In terms of social gatherings, I wasn't thinking, will I be able to get into that person's house? Everything was happening virtually, so I didn't miss out. That's really interesting,
1: Claire. Things were simpler, weren't they? And and when when did things actually start to change for you, though, you know, as we came down the levels?
2: I think at level two. In level two, my mum went back to her place, and then partway through level two, I returned to the office. So was that full-time, Claire? Yeah, I came back full-time. For me, I prefer being in the office because I live alone. I think I need that connection, Lots of people are working one or two days a week from home, which is really good to have that flexibility. You came back and things got better,
1: did they, as we went down the levels? What exactly got better, though? What made you feel better?
2: I think just being able to reconnect with people and return to normality, whatever normal is these days. Mm. Okay,
1: and just wondering, too, about this pandemic, which is still going on and on and on... We have to talk um, sort of a continuing way about the pandemic now, don't we? And how it's changing your life or the way you live your life. You've alluded to it a little bit, but how do you think it's changed your life?
2: I think, like I said earlier, there's that constant feeling that things aren't going to stay the same. Things are changing daily and not being so certain that things will go ahead anymore. I think things just take a bit more planning. Has it
1: affected your well-being at all or your thoughts about life?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Particularly if we were to return like Auckland did to level 3. I don't really want to have another lockdown. Does that worry you that thought? Yeah, a little bit, but it is what it is.
1: Has there been any particular event or incident that has sort of come about because of the p- pandemic for you?
2: No, not really. I think the main thing for me personally, on a bigger scale, is how it's affected the disabled community. There's been lots of issues in the community around PPE distribution, and that's been quite... It's, it's a real struggle to get adequate PPE. I was really lucky under lockdown, because I didn't need my staff. But those kind of issues, I guess because I'm an employer... I have a responsibility to ensure my support workers, that I have the processes in place to protect them and myself.
1: I'm just curious, in your work, have you spoken to other young women with disabilities who have found the pandemic
2: really difficult, or, or have they managed? I think lots of people have struggled with the isolation. I think for the disabled community, young women who are disabled isolation is a significant issue anyway so this just exacerbated that I mentioned connecting virtually that's been a good thing for the disabled community but not everyone has access not everyone is connected and if you don't have the connections in the first place it's very hard to make connections online if you don't have them I think that's been a big issue also, I support a number of young women with learning disabilities, and I think in terms of getting easy-to-read information out to people, that's been quite a big issue because people might be hearing and seeing all this information, but it's not presented in a way they understand, so that heightens anxiety as well.
1: So so you mean some of the, the government information that's been coming out or some of the things, um, you know, it's not being presented in easy-to-read form? Yeah, that must be really difficult, mustn't it, for them? Yeah, it would be incredibly difficult. I guess unless they had support. And and are you finding that
2: not all young women have support? Particularly over that lockdown period. Here at Araha Action, we were providing face-to-face support for essential services only, and most of our work is not essential because it's supporting people in the community. We also do lots of problem-solving for people, so talking things through, reading, understanding mail that important life stuff. We were able to do that over the phone, and it was something, but it was still difficult for people. Some really innovative practice happened as well, so that was good. I know one young woman, her support worker, they sent each other videos most days, like new teddies they had Mm. spotted. Mm. (laughs) That was really good, because it was something that person could do each day, go out and see new teddies on the street. (laughs) And have some of these
1: practices carried on, these innovative
2: practices? Well not as much as I'd like. I think we need to do a bit more work here to keep that because it was amazing how we were able to support people and not be face to face.
1: I'm just also wondering if you personally, um, has the pandemic affected your thoughts or plans
2: about the future? I guess not significantly but maybe planning holidays and that kind of thing. A friend and I were meant to be in Queenstown for a week in April and now we might plan something, but it very well may not go ahead. You talked about it a little bit, but but who or
1: what has helped you during this time?
2: I think being able to stay connected. I think work's helped me, to be honest, Mm -hmm. given me a focus to get Mm -hmm. on and do it.
1: It's hard, I know, because you can't speak for other young women, and I know that, but are there some women some young women that you've heard of that perhaps
2: um, don't have the work or don't have the focus, do do you think it's been harder for them? I think so, especially with the media and how they Mm sensationalise everything. I think if you don't have a lot going on during the day, you might focus on that a lot more and get caught up. It's good to have other distractions. Do you think... This p- pandemic is going to have an impact on young women with disabilities who might be looking for work? Absolutely. The barriers for disabled women getting into employment are enormous anyway. It's a major issue, but the pandemic has mm. heightened that.
1: Mm. And, and just lastly, Claire, what do you think could be done better for young women in Christchurch now and in the future? That's a
2: very good question. A great thing to come out of the earthquakes was that you go down the street and someone would say, how are you? That wasn't just, how are you? And I don't really want to know. It was a, how are you doing? I remember that and that was great. I think we, as a community, we need to be doing that more. I did notice that a bit over lockdown, like you'd go out for a walk and someone would be over there and you'd have a small exchange I think keeping some of that stuff, I think there's been lots of messaging around mental health now and the five ways to well-being, but continuing with that because that is a significant issue. Do
1: you think there are particular areas of support that that young women might need or or need to be able
2: to to access? I think there's a big issue with domestic violence Mm. and young women. That's a huge one. I think keeping opportunities for young women to engage who might be quite isolated in their community. I don't know how that would look, but some initiative to bring people together, even if that's just online. I think some messaging into the wellbeing stuff, but messaging that it will be all right, all this is going down, but actually we'll get through it, building resilience.
1: Thank you, Claire, so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Kia ora, I'm Pia Titus, a producer at Plains FM. Today we are wrapping up the Making the Most of Now series and are going to have a chat with two of the project's coordinators, Rosemary Duplessy and Louise Tappers, who were the researchers behind Making the Most of Now, and Marianne, who was one of the young women who was interviewed as part of the Oral History Project. Could you tell me a little bit about yourselves, um, Louise?
1: Uh, yes, so kia um, ora Thank you, Pia, for um, allowing us to have this chat. It's really good to have this, this wrap-up session. Um, I am originally um, an educator, so my background's in education. So I started as a teacher and teacher educator and then spent um, many years in the uh, my area of specialisation, which was gifted in talented education, working with parents, um, students and educators in policy and practice and research. And then latterly, I have uh, been working as a researcher, as a contract researcher and doing qualitative research for, mainly for an organisation called the Collaborative Trust, which works in research and training with young people, and also um, as an independent researcher and also I'm trained as an oral historian, so I've been doing um, a a couple of oral history projects, uh, hence my interest in this this particular project.
0: Wonderful, and Rosemary, um, how about you? How did you come to this project? Well, I came to this project because
3: Louise approached the National Council of Women, Christchurch branch, with her idea for it. And I'm involved in the National Council of Women, and I'm also someone who cares, like her, deeply about life story and oral history research. I'm retired as an academic from University of Canterbury, and while I was there, I taught life story research to sociology students, both how they might do it and also how they might analyse personal stories. And then more recently, after the Canterbury earthquakes, I was involved with the National Council of Women in doing a project that interviewed over 100 women in Christchurch about their experiences of the Canterbury earthquakes. So I am passionately interested in women's stories about their experiences being recorded and shared with other women in the world. And... In the context of the COVID epidemic and our response to it, I was really excited to join Louise on this project.
0: Wonderful. And Marianne, you're slightly different. You're one of the participants um, of the project. So can you tell me a bit about yourself?
4: Yeah, kia ora Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really uh, excited to be here. Um, I guess I'll start with what I do for work. I'm uh, a lawyer by profession but um, have expanded out into a wide array of different things since training at law school. Um, most recently I have been doing work um, with the Canterbury District Health Board and now the Ministry of Health on uh, the vaccine rollout um, but I also do a bunch of other things which I um, Uh, fill my cup I guess so I am also a swim teacher a baby swim teacher Um, so that didn't come across in my interview unfortunately because that's a new thing that I do but that keeps me busy and I also do um, a bit of community work so I'm heavily involved in the student volunteer army which I share a bit about in my interview and still remain involved with them today Um, and that's me really Wonderful. And um, we should mention that we are recording this during
0: the current Delta variant lockdown in August of 2021. So we will be mentioning um, lockdowns and um, the past one and the current one. But um, let's talk a bit more about the project. Making the Most of Now began as an oral history project. And I'd love to hear a bit more about the background of the project and why collecting these stories were so important.
1: Well, I guess um, in thinking about, you know, as COVID came about and in thinking about COVID-19, um, you know, the thoughts were that really, as the pandemic sort of went through, it, it was one of the, it is going to be, there's no doubt, one of the most significant, you know, global historical events of the 21st century. Um, And it's such an impact on people's everyday lives and and their hopes and plans for the future. And everything's going to be changed irrevocably because of this this pandemic. And I I guess the thought for for us, for Rosemary and I, was that young women are a a group whose lives are really greatly affected by this pandemic, young women particularly. Um, So many young women have worked as essential workers, They're caring for young children, um, trying to parent young children and and work at the same time. Um, They're often trying to um, attend school and school and tertiary institutions online. Many have lost jobs. Um, There's been quite a bit written about the impact that it has on the tourism and hospitality industry, which are areas of work that are often um, peopled by young women in um, both part-time and full-time. As, and as part-time workers, young women, a lot of young women are actually in the part-time working field. So we thought that it was really, um, you know, the, the impact of this pandemic on the lives of young women was something that was really important to um, to research and to find out about. So we wanted to explore the lived experiences of this group of young women. And the other catalyst for us was um, that young women in Aotearoa have actually faced so many challenges growing up in Ōtutahi with obviously the having grown up through the earthquakes and through the mosque, um, 2019 mosque shootings, and, and now they're facing another challenge. So for us, it was really important to listen to their stories and to find out, you know, how, how was this pandemic impacting their sort of, all their, their, their thoughts about where they were going to go and their hopes and where they thought their future was going to take them. We also wanted to. We did ask them, actually, in the in the store, in the interviews, about you know, what could be done. What could communities do to help and support young women as they're facing these challenges? So all these things were sort of going on, and thinking, well, actually, it really is important to collect these stories, and also to share these stories of um, how young women actually faced. Um, these challenges and what were some of the things and some of the strategies that they used that these 13 young women we talked to use and, and could we share these strategies with other young women. So that was sort of the catalyst and the impetus for us to collect these stories and to, we hoped um, share these stories with um, uh, with communities in Ōtutahi.
0: Did you have anything to add, Rosemary?
3: Well, I think what I would add is that we had, as Louise has indicated, a strong interest in not just recording these stories for posterity or archiving them, which we have done, but also sharing them and making them public in various ways. And so that leads us to Plains FM and the possibility of these podcasts. And we did also, after we'd done the interviews, have a meeting with some of the young women who participated in the project and told their stories, and Marianne was one of them, and they gave us advice about how we might share them in a way that other young women might access them. and. They significantly said that podcasts were an important way of doing that, that young women listen to podcasts. So that was a strategy for sharing. They don't necessarily go onto a research archive and access the transcripts there. They also said videos are important. And Louise might want to say something about us having applied for some funding to make some videos in which the young women tell their stories.
1: So that sort of comes under the, you know, we're thinking about what's happening to this research, you know, what's happening after the research. Um, and yes, um, we are very pleased um, that we have been able to get some funding from the Rata Foundation, um, which we're just thrilled about, and um, from what we call our advisory group of young women, um, whom we couldn't do without. Um, and we really do go back to them. We, we keep in touch with a lot of the young women. Um, as Rosemary and I often say, we're actually old women, not young women. So we need the advice of these young women as to how we can best share these stories and what's the best way to go about it. And they did say that um, you know, it, it, the digital way, as Rosemary said, is the way to go and podcasting and videos. So we've been able to um, uh, access this funding from Writer Foundation. And we're in the process of developing some video resources around the themes that came from the um, stories that the young woman told us. And we're hoping that um, some of the young women will act as presenters for us in these videos, short videos, that we will then share amongst um, a lot of the networks that, that we know of in um, of people who work with young people, young people themselves, um, people who train those who work with young people, so that the, the wisdom of these young people who are, who are telling these stories, these young women, can actually be um, shared to a... Um, throughout the communities in Christchurch. So we're very grateful to Rata foundation for giving us this fund, that funding. So more work for Rosary and I to get cracking and um, get some of the, these videos developed and with the support and help of some of our young women.
0: Well, Marianne, what did it mean to you to be part of the project and to share your story about your lockdown and um, pandemic um, experience?
4: Yeah, it was um, it was a really surprising experience. I don't think there's many times in our life um, that we take to really reflect in such an intentional way. And both, um, you know, the questions were very pointed, and um, it was a safe space to really share your full story. I think the biggest um, thing I took away from it is. Um, And this is obviously very good intention from Rosemary and Louise and how they designed the project was the connecting of the experiences between the earthquake, the shooting and the lockdown and how we or how I as a young woman responded and what I took from it was connecting the experiences together and the learning and the building of learnings from each time so for example it wasn't until I actually had the the conversation that I learned okay it really was the earthquake that and how I responded to that and the skills I learned there that allowed me to develop a bit more resilience to help deal with the impacts of the mosque shooting although not directly affected by that but in the community and then similarly into the lockdown So it was a really um, positive experience for me to be able to connect those and reflect on um, the positive impact that it had on me. I think when we reflect on negative events, a lot of the time we think, oh, that was really hard and all the bad things that happened to us. But I found this a really therapeutic experience and actually being able to reflect on the good things that um, helped me in terms of um, building resilience and things. Um, Um, So thank you for that.
0: (laughs) Well, it's like a quite unique opportunity to have time to reflect on that. Um, and, you know, that's quite different from how you would talk to in a more formal setting of an oral history interview than you would with friends and family. And um, have you taken anything from that interview experience and sort of been able to use that sort of in your daily life and thinking about how all of those events have been connected?
4: Yeah, I think um, fast forwarding now to our lockdown 2.0, which when we were interviewing, we didn't quite realise that would would be happening. I think um, I've been able to draw on, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, that time I had with Louise to reflect on how I dealt with it to give me the strength to continue through this lockdown. Um, and I think, again, having that resource for me to go back and listen to my story and be proud of it, um, is certainly something I will continue to, to cherish, um, potentially when I'm thinking I've got some, you know, some hard times coming up, I'll go back and, and remember the, the lessons, the wise words that I might've, I've come, come across before that I need to hear again.
0: Um, and this is a question actually that, um, I think maybe you will all have some different opinions on but for for your research um what themes have come through you mentioned talking about both the earthquake and then the mosque shooting so starting with um with uh you rosemary what are some of the themes you saw across the research
3: well let me pick up on this theme of the experience of the earthquakes and the mosque shootings and then the pandemic because a number of the women we spoke to reflected on those things. And among the things that they recognised as connecting was Although many of them were still quite young children at the time of the earthquakes, one of the things they remembered from that time was the sense of community connectedness, that in a crisis situation, in a disaster situation, people had to work on their connectedness with others, whether it was in their immediate neighborhood or across the city as a whole. And so there was a memory from childhood for some of the young women we spoke to of what the earthquakes meant in terms of the importance of that sense of connectedness in a crisis. And that emerged again when people spoke about the mosque shootings, particularly the people spoke about going to the memorial walls or going to major events in Hagley Park, or wearing a hijab um, at school or in public settings to indicate their identification with the Muslim community that had suffered um, the loss of life and the injury. And then people spoke about the lockdown period and the challenges posed for the whole country of COVID-19 in terms of a sense that in Christchurch, particularly as a city, people had some learnings to build on in terms of their connectedness. And they did think that it was easier for people who'd had that experience to think about looking out for their neighbours, vulnerable people in their communities, um, making attempts to shop for or inquire about people who might need help. their neighborhood or their immediate vicinity or within the organizations in which they're a part so i think that that is the theme that marianne's touched on and i think it came through in our interviews the other things in terms of the positivity was the strategies that the young women spoke about that they had used to help them in the context of being locked down, having their expectations of what they're gonna do frustrated, having their study plans disrupted, being anxious and uncertain about what the next year would bring, which is problematic for young people because they're on the brink of new relationships, new experiences, um, developing new forms of expertise or going into new employment situations. And all of that is suddenly suspended. But what they did do is that they did think about the things that they could do. They developed little work plans for themselves in terms of things that they could get through day by day. They also um, looked at how they could connect to people. So there was a general frustration with the limitations of digital connection. So we thought these young people would be fine in terms of digital communication when they were isolated, but they didn't find that as satisfying as their face-to-face communication. So they tried as far as they could to connect with other people and they often valued their relationships with the people in their bubbles. Some people said that they worked really hard on remaking and improving their relationships with parents and with siblings. And for some of the young women we interviewed, taking on some of the jobs of assisting their younger siblings with their study was a way of reconnecting and being useful um, for them. The other thing is this issue of reflection. A lot of the young women spoke about how the COVID time was a time that got them to rethink where they were going in their lives to adjust their plans to recognize that they could plan for the future but maybe the plans needed to change they just had to have a different time frame and some people actually chose lines of study or future development that they felt were important to them personally rather than what they thought they should or had to do and in that sense they made that period of suspension and reflection positive for their futures as well
0: and that's wonderfully reflected in the title of the project that um the podcast series is being called making the most of now
1: yes and that actually came from a quote from a, one of our um, young women um uh, one of the podcasts if you listen to Cheryl's podcast you'll, you'll hear that that um I think come out in her her quote and Cheryl had a, a you know really tough time going through lockdown and actually um she's had some you know trials and in, in her life um but she i think has reflected a lot about um i think as, you know this thinking time they had was one of the positive things that rosalie said and Cheryl was one of the ones who did sort of have this thinking reflection time and and that's what she was saying that actually and I think this came out for a lot of the young women that, you look, we're faced with this. We've been through this. This is going to happen. And who knew that we were going to have another lockdown, that it was going to go on for so long? I mean, when we were doing the interviews, did we have any idea that the pandemic, we talked about the ongoing pandemic, but did we know how long it was going to go on? Delta was not a word when we were um, doing these first interviews, was it, Marianne? We weren't talking about Delta then. <laughs> and now look um, where we are. But um, a lot of the young women actually had this, what we thought you know such an impressive attitude that actually you've just got to get on with it you need to make the most of now you need to make um you know some of the things our our plans our travel plans maybe our study plans maybe our work plans maybe the things that we had hoped that we were going to do are not going to be possible but let's just make the most of now make the most of what we've got and where we're at and um you know, we were actually, Rosemary and I were just so impressed with um, some of this resilience that Marion talks about that um, a lot of these young women um, were showing in, in really um, challenging circumstances.
0: One of the things that, um, and this is just reflecting on my own listening of the series that we're told about young people is that we, um, and I include myself in this just, um that sometimes we're not as resilient as past generations, but actually over these three very significant events in Otatahi Christchurch, an incredible amount of resilience has been shown by the young people in this city.
1: I think you're absolutely right, Pierre. and I think that was sort of, as I say, one of the catalysts for us is to, is to talk to young women, because they have been through so much. And that's why I think, you know, the environment of Oototahi is different to the rest of Aotearoa in many ways, and that they have, um, you know, been through these, um, these events. Um, And as Marian says, she was able to, I think, able to reflect on that and think, you know, heavens that that the impact that the earthquake actually had has impacted in, in the connection between the three challenging events. But, um, it's almost like it is what it is, it's happened. And therefore we, we do, there's nothing we can do about it. It's this out of our control thing. Therefore we do have to get on with it. Now, it would be absolutely fascinating to talk to, which is what we would hope to do in terms of the research ongoing um, research. It would be wonderful to be able to talk to young women now um, as they face yet another lockdown, yet more disruptions, yet more uncertainty, yet more, you know, where's it going? Um, to see how they're feeling now—is there still this um, this 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 kind of um, resilience going on, or are they starting? Are young women starting to feel um, a little bit more feelings of hopelessness because it's going on so long, um, and because this disruption just doesn't seem to be finishing? And that's where Rose and I would like to go with um, the research. Um, going forward, we would, um, it was always going to be sort of a pilot, the first 13 stories that we took, that we collected. And the um, hope is that we can talk to perhaps another, you know, maybe 30 young women um, from a very diverse range of young women from a whole lot of different situations um, throughout Otatahi and even greater Christchurch. And um, especially with this new, new, um, circumstances, um, and the fact that worldwide things are still not getting any better, it would be, I think, very interesting to um, interview some more young women and see, look, are they still feeling resilient? Are they still feeling that, um, you know, that they can go on, that things are are going to be okay, or or what's happening for them now? So that's where we'd like to go with the research. Um, we'd, We'd like to move forward and talk to more young women if we can possibly do so.
4: It's strange
0: that we're finishing this series off during another lockdown, isn't it? So what can we take from these stories about the first lockdown and apply it to this lockdown? And Marianne, it'd be great to hear from from you as someone whose story was part of the research and your work at the moment.
4: Yeah, sure, and I I really appreciate the reflections across the themes, across the stories. I think the connection theme, um, Rosemary, you were talking about is so key and um, that's all the messaging we have from the government right now is stay connected, check in with people. So the fact that that is actually validated um, from your own research is really awesome across um, three very challenging environments. I think, is, is awesome. So I think to your question, um, the importance of connection, um, not just from the first lockdown, but from any challenging event is really important. Um, I also really appreciated hearing um, that other women were, were sharing about the, the importance of reflection and having time to reassess their priorities. I think that's a lesson that we can absolutely take from the first lockdown into this lockdown. It's very rare that we have time in our lives um, I think where the whole society is slowed down um, while I've been manic at work at the work at the work I've been doing with the vaccine rollout I've so appreciated the slowness around me um, in terms of people being at home there's no you know distractions out on the roads and, and things like that so I think the lesson we can take is actually honor the time and use it in a positive way um, because it's not very rare, it's very rare we're going to get these types of opportunities um, to take some time for yourself. And again, noting I don't have any children, so I know it's probably very crazy for people who do have kids. They don't have that kind of time. But if there is something you can take in general and the, slo- the slowness, slowness, excuse me, of life that lockdown brings, um, see that as a positive. Um, what's the. Oh. What's the role
0: of oral history in your work, um, Louise and Rosemary? Because you've talked a bit about oral history and these stories, how does that how does that factor in your research methods?
1: Um, oral history is, is a really um, oral history methodology. As a qualitative researcher, um, oral history is a really good way of getting sort of a rich and in depth description um, of what people think and feel. So. Oral history, you know, the purpose of doing oral history is is to create sort of a spoken record. Um, So it's what you're trying to get is a record of the perceptions of the person that you're interviewing at that time. Um, So it's like trying to get a record of um, sort of eyewitness accounts of um, that person's insights into society and and society's values and attitudes, Um, so generally with oral history, you don't edit it, you just, which is why it's been so great having these podcasts, because we've been able to sort of have the stories in there in full. So these stories are not edited. They, they are um, saying that there is some editing done to protect um, um, privacy issues, such as pseudonyms and things. So there's been a little bit taken out, but pretty much they're just as is. And, it, and it's hearing that oral histories, are, you know, it's the hearing. They're not meant to be read, they're meant to be heard and they like sort of a documentation in time. Um, and I think that the fact that um, you actually hear someone's voice and the tones of the voice and the way people say things, um, you know, it make the telling of the story so much richer than just reading it. So it's an important way of capturing society at a time or retrospective thoughts of an event or a period of time. So for this you know, as I say, COVID-19 being really, you know, huge event of the century, to have these stories and capturing these people's insights and their views and their thoughts about it, um uh for a researcher is is it it allows us to get that depth and that richness um and that personal account of what's happening in that historical moment.
0: Um I think it's
3: I think it's also really important that these are young women's voices we're doing that with because over the whole COVID period, when you're looking at the mass media and the views of the experts and the prime minister and the health experts and things like that, they are largely people in midlife and older. But this project is important because it gives people access to the voices, reflections and insights of young women.
1: And, and um, I think that's important, too, because I think one of the things when you're talking about the themes that came from the, the oral history, uh, from the project, um, when we asked the young women what could communities in Ōtuhahi, Ōtutahi do and to support young women, um, one of the themes that came across was actually just sort of um, you know, listen to us, hear our voices, hear what we've got to say, And not only hear what we've got to say, but support us to act on what we've got to say, to be part of the action, to be part of the solution. Um, So having this, you know, one or two of the young women said, um, and I guess Marianne alluded it too, to have the opportunity to actually um, tell their stories and to hear what they've got to say, um, for them was really important. Um, And we, of course, are hugely grateful to the young woman, the 13 young women who were generous enough to share their stories, but we hope that perhaps um, for them, it was um, also useful for them to be able to um, have their voices heard because they're really important voices.
0: Absolutely. Um, Well, I would love to thank all three of you for sharing um, this reflection on the project. And you've mentioned that you're looking for more people potentially to take part in research interviews. If people want to do um, An interview with you where can they find your details apart from in the uh podcast um notes that you'll be able to find with this episode do you have an email address that someone could get in contact with you
1: if they email me um louise tepper so it's louise.tepper at gmail.com um Also, if you can find the transcripts at the Quake Studies, um, University of Canterbury Quake Studies. Um, So rather than perhaps giving you the full um, uh, website address, if you just Googled Quake Studies, um, University of Canterbury, and looked for uh, Making the Most of Now, you would find a lot of information about it there. But in terms of getting in touch with us, if if you email um, and you're interested, we would be absolutely delighted to hear from you.
0: Great. Thanks, Louise. So if you are interested in taking part or contributing to the research, make sure you get in touch with Louise. That brings us to the end of our show today. Thank you so much, Rosemary, Louise, and Marianne for taking time out and joining me to talk about this amazing project. You can get all of the episodes of making the most of now on PlanesFM.org.nz. Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Listen to more stories from Making the Most of Now on Planes FM 96.9, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5pm. And get the podcast at planesfm.org.nz, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.